Hi, I'm Alexandra, and I am the creator of Alexandra's Adventures. I want to explore different topics, learn new things, and share my discoveries with all of you. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to season two. Alexandra's Adventures is excited to present the Pensieve podcast, a segment dedicated to the magical world of Harry Potter. I have brought back my special guest from last season, my mom, who will join me as we discuss the first book in the Harry Potter series, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back. Now, for the first book, we're going to start near the beginning when Harry begins to receive letters. Not only does he receive letters, but he receives what is more than likely the very first letter that he has ever received in his entire life. Which is why in the movie, he it's probably why he looks so amazed that he's received this letter. Um, but also, he's, he's more so shocked as well at the fact that the letter is addressed to Mr. H. Potter, but it's addressed to him in the cupboard under the stairs. Now, when Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia see that this letter is from Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, they also realize that the letter specifically states where Harry has been sleeping. Now, they are, they, they want everyone to perceive them as normal. They want to not have any association with the wizarding world and this not only stresses them out for that reason, but also makes them realize that that means there might be people who recognize that Harry isn't treated as well as they probably think he is. And so they move him into Dudley's other room, which is for storage, but it's his, the smallest room in the house in the book. Now, in the movie, when Harry receives the letters, he gets his letters, a multitude of them, in the house to the address to the cupboard under the stairs. And then they go to the hut in the middle of the sea where Hagrid de delivers his letter. Now in the novel, Harry gets all these letters at home addressed to him in the cupboard. Then he gets all these letters addressed to him when he moves into the smallest bedroom. And then they actually go to a hotel for the night where there have been hundreds of letters left at the front desk. And that is when Uncle Vernon has had it and he decides to take them to this little hut in the middle of the sea, where, as I just said, we eventually and finally meet Hagrid, the keeper of keys at Hogwarts. Who comes to the island to basically rescue Harry. Yeah, and he delivers his letter and he tells Harry who he is. He famously says, you're a wizard, Harry. And that is a life-changing moment. Um, Harry leaves with Hagrid and they go to the Leaky Cauldron and into Diagon Alley to get all of Harry's school supplies for the next year, um, for his first year at Hogwarts. And this is a big moment for Harry's identity. Um, and he kind of has, a, he kind of goes through a crisis. Um, he has moments of, this is when he has his initial moments of self-doubt uh, because everyone knows him. And when they hear the name Harry Potter, they're amazed and excited to meet the famous Harry Potter. And he has no clue why they're excited to meet him. 
And that is a big change for Harry because he has spent his entire life being Harry Potter. Ooh. Like, it was almost like if you said his name when he was living with the Dursleys, it was like you're talking about dirt on the bottom of your shoe. And now all of a sudden people are happy to see him and he really doesn't know how to deal with that. Yeah, and as he slowly begins to find out, it's due to the fact that he defeated Voldemort. The... He who must not be named. Yeah, and everyone's wondering like how he did it and he doesn't even know how he did it and he's like how am i supposed to excel and meet these people's expectations when i don't even know who i am i didn't even know i was a wizard until a few days ago and so harry doesn't have the same views as some of the other wizards and witches in the harry in the wizarding world because he didn't grow up with learning these things and learning um all there is to know about magic and we see this especially in the novel when harry goes to madame malkin's to get his robes for the year and this is his first time really away from hagrid at this point he goes in to get measured for his robes and when he enters, there's another boy getting his robes, who we learn to be Draco Malfoy. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I really like this moment in the novel because in the movie, uh, Harry meets Draco for the first time. I believe it's it was at the castle right it, before the sorting. Yes, it was after he'd already met Ron and Hermione and others on the train. Yeah, so... In the book, it's his first interaction with another young wizard who's going for their first year at Hogwarts. However, we learn that they definitely have different personalities, uh, to put it that way. Kind of like oil and water, I believe. Yeah, so I really like this point because he gets to interact with Draco without anyone else's influence on the conversation or on their opinions of each other. Draco pretty much automatically establishes his pers his views of superiority who, of superiority and who should be allowed to into Hogwarts which in his opinion is purebloods um he doesn't believe that muggleborns should be allowed to attend the school and it's just takes away from the um experience the experience the distinction of the school and so draco is an elitist yeah and you also see that yeah like along with that is very classist later on in the book when um they get detention and they have to go into the forbidden forest to try and find a hurt unicorn uh draco's complaining saying like when my father hears about this like blah 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 and he's just like complaining that this search for the hurt unicorn is for servants whereas for harry he was always the servant growing up so for him this is just doing what needs to get done because it's the right thing to do yeah and when harry and draco have their first interaction harry's unsure what any of these terms mean when draco's saying them he doesn't really understand what a pure blood is 
or what a muggle-born is. So it's it's very it's a very big change for him, and he actually compares Draco to Dudley at one point, which is I just think hilarious. Uh, Dudley does think himself superior to Harry, so um, it's it's an apt um, comparison. Comparison, yeah. Um, so then after that, we do get to meet more wizards and witches and other children going to Hogwarts when Harry is at the train station trying to find platform nine and three quarters. Not exactly on the train station map, is it? No. <laughs> and the um, people at the station actually think he's playing a game on them when he's asking, trying to find them, because he honestly doesn't know how to get to it. And this is the best introduction to one of my favorite characters in the series, Molly Weasley. This woman is amazing. And as we find out, she has seven children, two of which have already graduated from Hogwarts. So this woman knows how to get to the platform. Yeah, this is not new to her. Um, however, she complains about the station being packed with muggles and how they're going to be late for the train. And she goes, what's that platform number again? And Ginny pipes up and says, nine, th nine and three quarters. And Harry goes, muggles? Platform nine and three quarters? They've got to be going to Hogwarts. So she's, she recognizes that Harry looks confused and lost. And is trying to do her best to help him without what, embarrassing him. Yeah, she's trying to be a nice person and a nice mother when she sees this young boy who really has no clue what he's doing at this point and really needs that help, but is already like put down from asking and doesn't know what to do. And he's scared about having to go back to the Dursleys. Um, so he successfully gets to the train platform, correct? Yes. So he does um, ask the Weasleys for help and finds out that this will also be Ron's first year going to Hogwarts. And this is kind of the uh, initial point of making one of his first friends at Hogwarts. He actually ends up getting help from the twins once they get onto the platform, um, the twins help Harry get his stuff onto the train, which I just love because we always, the twins are always presented as these jokesters and they're actually really kind to Harry and they help him out. And when they find out that he's Harry Potter, they freak out. They're so excited and they run back to their mom and they're like, mom, you'll never, you'll never guess who we actually just helped. It's Harry Potter. Did, did Fred and George fangirl? Pretty much. Like, it was so cute to read. And Ginny gets so excited. She's like, Mom, can I go see? And and her, Molly's just like, you guys, you just saw him. Chill out. Like, the boy is scared. This is his first year. He's all alone. Don't ask him questions. And she just goes into, like, protective mom mode. Yes. And it's just so great to see that there's someone out there who is there to protect and care for him, even just meeting him. Yeah, I was going to say, the nice thing is she has, at the beginning, she had no idea who he was. 
And but she was still willing to help. And that shows the kind of person that Molly Weasley is. Yeah. And I just I love that. And we get more of that personality within Ron, um, which is pretty great. So Ron comes to the little part of the train, the compartment that Harry's in, and says that the rest of the train's full and asks if he can sit with him. And visually, in the movie, they're both chilling. It's cool. But in the book, we begin to learn more that Ron is the sixth kid in the family. They don't have a lot. And Harry's sitting there like, I have felt the same way, even though there's not as many people in my house. But also, Harry has now learned, having gone to Gringotts with Hagrid in Diagon Alley, that he does have all this money. So when, um, as they sit there bonding, and the trolley comes by, Harry ends up buying one of everything, and they get to enjoy this mini feast on the train together while Harry essentially gets to learn more about what being a wizard is like from Ron. So Harry is in one way helping Ron in, you know, in buying these treats and as a gift type thing. But on the other side, Ron is Harry helping Harry because Harry has no idea about these treats, correct? Yeah, he has no clue what he bought. Um, and so it's all new to him. And he warns him about certain things like Bertie Bots Every Flavor Beans. And what I love about this interaction, though, is that Ron never blames Harry for not knowing. When we get to the Chocolate Frogs, he explains that they have collector's cards. And they have famous witches and wizards on them. And um, when they start talking about Quidditch... He doesn't question the fact Harry goes, what's Quidditch? And he's like, you don't know? And then he's like, oh, of course you wouldn't know. Like, you didn't grow up learning about this. So he doesn't make Harry feel bad for not knowing these things. He recognizes that because Harry did not grow up in a wizard family, he's not going to know these things. And so he tries his best to help educate him, which is really wonderful. Um, and during this train ride, we also meet third of our three big characters throughout the series we meet Hermione who stops by she's looking for Neville's toad and also lets them know that they will be getting to Hogwarts soon so they should probably change into their ropes yes um now zooming forward we have our sorting ceremony once we get to Hogwarts where all three of them end up getting sorted into Gryffindor. Yay, Gryffindor! Um, the other three houses we have are Slytherin, Ravenclaw, and Hufflepuff. And Draco gets sorted into Slytherin. Shocking. Now Harry, as many of us know, was almost put into Slytherin, but had a sort of discussion with the sorting hat. Uh, one of the things I always found interesting between just that scene in general in the movies and just reading it was when they get sorted, the house or the sorting hat shouts the, the name of the house they're sorted in and everyone like is joyous and will like say, congratulations. 
So if they can hear the hat at that point, do they hear the conversation that Harry has with the sorting hat? I always took that conversation as more of a mental conversation. Like in his head. Yes, with strictly the in, his he- in his head. So nothing out loud. Um, so no, I don't believe everybody else would hear it. Because that's what I always struggled with. I was like, that's a very personal conversation and can be kind of taken wrong by some people if he's sitting there chanting not Slytherin. Yes. <laughs> like, that, wow, great way to start your first year. And I just think it, I always, I just think about, I think about that all the time that I just was like, is it a mental conversation? Is the sorting hat, does he have that magic? Does it have that magic? And yes, I think it has the magic yeah. because the sorting hat will take into consideration, uh, yeah, I want to say your personality. And so the sorting hat has to be able to determine your personality in order to sort you into the proper house. That makes sense. Um, so speeding forward to Christmas. Um, Christmas. Yay! Hermione goes home for Christmas and Ron and Harry, at, th- at this point, they have already found Fluffy, who is guarding something that they think to be the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, Fluffy is a three-headed dog. Very cute. Very cute, but very huge. Yes. And in the movie, they end up on the third floor corridor, which is off-limits. And... That's when they find Fluffy. It's Ron, Harry, and Hermione. Now, in the book, they are actually joined by Neville. Of course. And they actually end up in that corridor in the middle of the night on accident because they realized that Draco had tricked them when proposing a midnight duel. So... It's just interesting that Neville was there for that. So Neville also knows that there's a three-headed dog in the school... Which just means there's one more student who knows, and I'm surprised it didn't get out. Um, But going back to Christmas, now Hermione has left the boys with homework, and that is to figure out what is the Sorcerer's Stone. Now, through all this, that includes going to the restricted section of the library, which you can't enter without permission from a professor or a faculty member at Hogwarts. And so, on Christmas Day, Harry receives gifts, which is probably... Again, probably the first thing, first time he's ever received gifts. Yeah, so, I mean, mean, throughout the books, we kind of get some gifts from the Dursleys, like a a tiny coin or a toothpick, uh, which isn't really a gift. No, it's leftovers or trash or, you know, used. Yeah, and one of the great things is um, he receives a... Famous knitted Molly Weasley sweater, as well as some other small things from Molly and Hermione and Ron. But he also has this mystery package that has been left to him. And it turns out to be an invisibility cloak that belonged to his father. So Harry uses this to get into the restricted section at night to try and find out some information. But while in the library, he almost gets caught. So he runs out 
and is trying to find a safe spot. So he ends up going into a classroom where he finds the mirror of Erised. Now, as he's trying to figure out what this mirror is while also trying to stay there for protection, we find out that he sees his mother and father and, and his family and stuff. And this is kind of weird because, you know, he, he's never seen them before. He's never seen them, yes. It's it's not like the Dursleys had family photos of his family all over the house because they didn't like that side of the family. And Petunia hated her sister. Yes. Um, that's how it's portrayed for most of the series. So, finding the mirror, he keeps returning to it because he, he just really wants to see them again. And on one night when he returns, Dumbledore is there. However, he didn't see him at first. And all of a sudden, Dumbledore's there and he tells Harry, I don't need a cloak to be invisible. And first of all, I'd just like to wonder, can Dumbledore just magically can turn invisible? That's something people can learn to do? I'm going to have to say yes. Uh, as Well, Dumbledore is supposed to be the greatest wizard ever. So I would think that, yes, that should be something he can do. I just think that's pretty cool, yes. first of all. But he warns Harry that it can be a dangerous thing, this mirror. Um, and we learn that the mirror shows your heart's greatest desire. And they, we found that out when um, Harry took Ron down, right? Because yes. Harry was expecting Ron to see his parents. Yes. So we learn more about it because Ron actually sees himself holding the Quidditch cup and being prefect or head boy and having all these accomplishments. Standing out on his own. Yes, by he's standing out. But one of the sad things is he also recognizes that even if I do all of these things, it won't be good enough because everyone else in my family has already done them. Yeah. He just wants to be seen. He wants to feel special. He feels like the odd one out that he's not known for anything. And hit. He wants what Harry has, and Harry wants what Ron has. Yes, Harry has been alone his own lot, whole life, and he wants a family to fit into. Yeah. And Ron has been in a huge family that can, you know, for many, be very overwhelming. Yeah, and so it's just interesting to see how they complement each other so well. Yes. Um. And going back to the night with Dumbledore being there, um, he also lets Harry know that that after that night, he will be moving the mirror. So don't search for it. And we later find out where the mirror is. After, after Christmas, they find out from Hagrid that they, so they figure out what the Sorcerer's Stone is. They figure out who Nicholas Flamel is, who's the creator of it. And they find out from Hagrid that not only is Fluffy guarding this stone, there are other enchantments and things protecting this stone after Fluffy. So they think someone is trying to get past Fluffy to get the stone to help Voldemort. And of course, nobody believes them. Of course. And they think it is Professor Snape, who seems to hate Harry. Yes. And have it out for him. 
So they're like, of course it's gotta be them. Gotta be him. And everyone's like, it can't be Snape. Like, he's a professor. He's guarding the stone. Now, we find out from Hagrid that he can't be the one trying to break in to see the stone. Because not only is there Fluffy, Professor Sprout has helped. Professor McGonagall has helped. Professor Flitwick has helped. Professor Quirrell has helped. And Professor Snape has helped in these enchantments and these protections, forms of protection. So it can't be him. So they find out from Hagrid how you calm Fluffy down and make him go to sleep, which is through music. Yes. Music soothes the beast. Yes. So when they figure out that they still think at this point Snape is trying to steal the stone. So the night they think he's going to steal it, they try to go after him to get the stone. And they get to the enchantments and they get through and they get past Fluffy, who is already asleep because someone had already gone past him. And then they get into the Devil's Snare, which Hermione helps them get through, which was from Professor Sprout. And then they have the key challenge mm-hmm. from Professor Flitwick. And then they have wizard the, the giant wizard's chest from McGonagall that Ron helps them succeed through, but he also sacrifices himself so that they can win the game and Harry and Hermione can move on. All right. Ron knows it's for the greater good. Yes. And they get to the next part and there's a giant troll knocked out, which they determined was Professor Quirrell's part of the enchantments enchantments challenges and then they get to a potion logic puzzle which was obviously created by professor snape professor of potions yes and so after figuring out the logic puzzle which as hermione points out most wizards lack the common sense part of logic and she figures out the riddle figures out which potions would do nothing kill them and which potion would send them one of them back through flames to go backwards and one through a set of flames to go forwards? And she says, like, Harry, you have to go for it. I'll go back to Ron. And Harry, again, admits that he doesn't feel like he's good enough for this. Like, she's a much better witch than him. She's so much better at magic. And he, she admits to Harry, she's like, there's so much more to life than books, books and cleverness. It's friendship and bravery. Yes. And that's also big for her because we've known her to be very bookish throughout this whole thing, which is not a bad thing, but it also just goes to show why she was kind of, why she was put into Gryffindor. Yes. And... So this is a big moment for them in their friendship as well. And so Harry moves forward into the room where he thinks he will be seeing Professor Snape. Turns out it's not. It's not. And it's Professor Quirrell, who has actually been helping Voldemort and is not Voldemort uh, very close by. Yes. Yes. We still don't know to the extent of how close he is. Um, then Harry sees the mirror of Erised, which had been moved to this room. And Voldemort, you can hear a voice. Mm-hmm. And he finally says, like, let me see him. And 
Coral has been wearing this turban the entire time. And as he takes off his turban, Voldemort's face, what is what is left, of, left him of him, yes, is attached to the back of Coral's head. And he is like, have him look in the mirror, use him, use Harry to get the stone. And as Harry looks in the mirror, the mirror kind of winks back at him, pats his pocket, and like hold, is holding the stone and puts it in his pocket. And then Harry feels this weight. And he realizes that the stone has been placed in his pocket through his mirror image. Yes. So the mirror is on his side. Yes. And through this, he's like, oh, he has the stone. The boy has the stone. And tries to, Quirrell tries to attack Harry. And he cannot take Harry's touch. He cannot touch Harry. Harry cannot touch him without feeling excruciating pain. And this ends up essentially killing Quirrell and defeating Voldemort again, in a sense. And Harry is knocked out. And he wakes up in the hospital wing. Now, we find out from Dumbledore that the stone has been taken back. He has talked to Flamel and they've decided to destroy the stone. As well as... Professor Quirrell has been defeated. And we find this out that the reason Quirrell couldn't take his touch was because of the love Harry's mom had for him. It was Harry's love. Her love was protecting Harry from the danger. Yes. And so when she died, it left a form of protection on Harry. Yes. Which was pretty cool to learn and just showed power of a mother's love. So this was really cool to find out that even 11 years later, Harry's mom is essentially still protecting him. She's, even, yeah, even though she's dead. Yeah. It, it's amazing how far reaching a mother's love can extend. Which is such a powerful message in this entire series. He has now has a two mother figures at this point, not just his mother, Lily, but also Molly. Yes. And that's just so wonderful to see for Harry, who has been through hell, essentially. He has been bullied and put down his entire life, and now he has this safe space. He has a place where he's going to learn who he is and who to be. And he has friends for the first time in his entire life. Yeah. Which is so emotional. I just love it. Now, this isn't the end of the book. We get the last dinner where the house cup is awarded to one of the houses based on points that were given or taken or taken throughout the entire year. Now, at this point, Slytherin has won the House Cup, and Gryffindor is in, is in I think, last, last place. place, I believe. Yeah. And some of this is mostly due to Harry, Harry and Ron. Ron and, yeah. and Hermione sometimes with them. Um, now, Neville, such, such a great character. I love Neville. So underrated. He is just so great. 
And like Harry, has also been mistreated. He has been bullied. He's been bullied since day one of Hogwarts. And Draco is his main bully. And at one point, I really love this interaction between Harry, Hermione, Ron, and Neville. Is Ron, or Neville gets hit with like a leg lock, um, Jinx, and has to hop his way back to Gryffindor Tower, where Hermione is able to do the counter curse and free his legs. And they find out that, I believe it was Draco or some Slytherins that did it. And Harry looks at Neville and says, like, you're 12 of him. You're way better than him. Like, it's okay. And Ron's like, you should stand up to him. And Neville does. He stands up to his main tormentor, which is so hard to do. And we don't get to see that in the movie, which I think is it's sad. It's so yeah. sad. Like, he stands up for himself. He's not just this person who always needs help. He He can do it. Yes. And, but what is recognized at that final feast is he is awarded the last few points that actually win Gryffindor the House Cup after Ron, Harry, and Hermione are awarded their points for playing good chess, playing good chess, um, figuring yeah, out everything yes. to get to the stone. Yes. And Neville gets awarded points for standing up to his friends because... He didn't want them to get into trouble. He didn't want to, them to get into trouble. And he didn't want Gryffindor to get more mad for losing Warhouse points. Yes. And as Dumbledore recognizes, standing up to your bully is one thing, but standing up to your friends is an entirely different thing, which is much harder to do. Yeah. And because if you stand up against your friends and if they take offense, then you have no friends. Yeah. And so that was a big risk for Neville because it's not like he had a lot of friends anyway. And I think both of these instances of standing up for himself and standing up to people, it just proves one of the points that was made to him earlier in the book was he was put into Gryffindor for a reason. Yes. And I just think that's a great way to... It shows his inner strength. Which is, I think, one of the things that Gryffindors tend to have is is a solid inner strength that they can, um, you know, depend on. Yeah. And I just think that's so wonderful to see. Yes. In the various characters. And so who wins the cup? So in the end, Gryffindor does win the Yay! house cup. Which makes everyone so excited. And on that note, I think we will end today's episode on the first novel of the series and don't you have a blog or something related to this too so if people have questions or I, want more information i do have a blog you can find us on tumblr at alexandra's adventures it's alexandra's dash adventures tumblr.com and on that page, you can find the link to our Insta, our Instagram. And you can also find blog posts that I will be doing every week about the series and about other readings that I will be doing um, 
from another book I found to learn more about Harry Potter and all of the different myths, legends, and fascinating facts. And so you can find some little tidbits about that. And there will be announcements on there as well, as well as uh, transcripts for certain episodes. And so you can message me through there. You can also leave me a message on my Anchor profile, or you can message us on Instagram. Please reach out if there are specific things you would like to hear about. Um, As you all will know, I can't talk about every single aspect in one episode. So if there are specific things you want to hear about, please let me know and don't be afraid to reach out. Okay. for our scholarly second where we talk about scholarly works related to Harry Potter. Our first scholarly second is brought to us by Karen Nairn and Johanna Wynn, whose article is titled New Girlhood and Lost Boys, Analyzing the Cultural Politics of Gender and Education Through Film. In this article, Nairn and Wynn look at coming-of-age films such as Bend It Like Beckham, Whale Rider, and Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. These films contain narratives that focus on girlhood and boyhood that provide a perspective on the changing historical and political context of gendered identity construction in the new millennium. Successful girls are a reoccurring theme across the selected films. In Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Hermione's intelligence is celebrated, although more frequently ridiculed, and is less significant than Harry's courage. These storylines of successful girls incorporate cautionary notes. Intelligent girls such as Hermione, according to Ron, are a, quote, nightmare, no wonder she hasn't got any friends, end quote. Young women's success, therefore, comes at a price, whether as a threat to young men or in terms of heterosexual attractiveness and or popularity. In Harry Potter, boys are celebrated and central, especially Harry, whose qualities outshine Hermione's. Harry is also successful and central, but his way of, quote, doing gender is not new. Rather, Harry succeeds at a sequence of heroic quests interspersed with sporting achievements in Quidditch. When analyzed in their socio-historical context, these three films provide insights into a moment in time when older patterns of gender and class and race shifted, creating new anxieties and expectations about gender. The, quote, girl films offer young women a storyline that asserts their relevance and indeed their indispensability to contemporary life. Whale Rider and Bend It Like Beckham offer redemptive and largely positive narratives. Young men are offered narratives that situate them in, quote, another place to pursue heroic quests and overcome evil, and young masculinity is represented in an abstracted way disconnected from contemporary social life, focused on the heroic struggle against evil. So we tend to see films that, when focused on young men, don't take place in modern day. They'll take place in 
a mythical setting or if they take place in modern day, they have those magical, mythical um, scenery surrounding them. As stated in the abstract of the article, the early 2000s represented a particular moment in thinking about the possibilities, risks, and threats of gender relations in Western countries. This was overwhelmingly represented by a discourse of crisis and loss in relation to boyhood and a discourse of hope in relation to girlhood. Thanks again for exploring with me today. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about today's episode or ideas for what you want to hear in future episodes, you can DM me on Instagram at alexandra's underscore amazing underscore adventures, or you can leave a voice message on our Anchor profile.